0: So I grew up in the Philippines uh, from the time I was about two years old, till pretty much exclusively, except for a couple of, you know, a year here, here and there, um, till about I graduated from high school. And then I came back here to California and went to Concordia. Anyone else like Concordia University? Yeah, right. Woohoo! Anyone How about any Biola people? <laughs> it's okay, we don't hold it against them, don't worry. Um, and I, I graduated a year ago from Concordia with a degree in theater and mathematics. And I've been trying to figure out what the heck to do with that ever since. <laughs> but by the grace of God, I've been called here and I'm, I'm able to minister here as a, as a worship leader and as a leader in the youth groups. Um, but that's enough about me. Now that we're best friends you know everything about each other, let's di- di- dive into the word together, huh? Um, if you open your Bibles to... John chapter 21. It'll be on the screen, but I like holding it in my hand, and there's ones right in front of you. It's easy to find. John chapter 21, starting with verse 1. This is right after uh, after Jesus has been resurrected, and he's appeared to his disciples a couple times. And so the disciples are sitting around, and and we'll start with verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net out on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, there were some fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and they did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because he, Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. I like Peter. I've always liked just his ministry and, and his approach, his gung-ho attitude, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of approach the ministry. I, th- I think I like him because I'm kind of like him. Um, I'm busy all the time. Um, and Peter, Peter was, was this. He was, he was just out there. If, if we go back um, and look at this right here, he's the first one going to Jesus. I mean, it's been a long night. They've been working hard, sweating, took out his outer cloak garment. I don't know if they wore anything underneath those. So, he had to wrap it around himself before he jumped in the water. But then, you know, it was like, oh, it's Jesus over there. Jesus, go! You know, and he's jumping in the water, swimming ashore, gets there. Boat pulls up. Jesus like, oh, grab some of the fish. Alright, Jesus, go! Okay, got the fish. I pulled them all. I counted them. 153. I counted them for you. I got you fish. Jesus. We're having breakfast. And then Jesus just Lays a question on him. That's just a doozy. Before we dig into that, I want to actually have you guys open your Bible again. I know. How dare we? Turn to Luke 5. It's not going to be on the screen. I was irresponsible and didn't tell them about this. Luke 5 starts on page 714 on this Bible. It's the first time Jesus lays a question on Peter. That's a doozy. It's when he's calling his disciples. Starting with verse 1, Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch." Simon answered, "Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Yeah, the other Gospels say, Now you'll be a fisher of men. I love that. If you, the verse right after that says, then, then Peter and his friends left everything and just followed Jesus. Peter was right there, going. He's ready. There's one second of hesitation where he's like, um, you want us to fish? I just cleaned those nets. Did you not just see me as you were walking up washing them? It's by hand. It takes a long time, guy, whoever you are. But you know what? You said some cool things when you're on my boat, so I guess I'll believe you. And then Jesus just, miracle, right there. And Peter's taken off. He's with him. Later on, Jesus with his disciples on a hillside. They've been ministering to thousands of people all day. And he sent his disciples out among the people to go and minister to them, go to them, pray with them, be with them. They're coming back and he says, Who do the people say that I am? And they're like, Oh, you're Moses or uh, Isaiah or another prophet. And he's like, Well, who do you say I am? And they're like, Moses or Isaiah, another prophet or something. But Peter, he's right there. He's like, You're the Christ. Later on in the upper room, during the Passover meal, right before Jesus is betrayed, Jesus has just finished telling his disciples that he has to go and be sacrificed to fulfill what he came for. And Peter's like, Lord, I will follow you to prison and even unto death. He was there. He wasn't the smartest. He wasn't the richest. He was a fisherman who used his hands, but he was with Christ. A couple hours after that, Jesus has just been betrayed by Judas, and he's about to be taken away by the temple guards. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Peter just whips out a sword. I don't know where he got it, but he just whips it out starts hacking away. Cuts a guy's ear off. Which either means he had really good aim or really bad aim. But either way, a guy's ear got cut off and Jesus gets to do a miracle. And then after that, he's at the temple gates. And Jesus is inside being questioned. And there's a little girl at the temple gates. Who says, hey, wait a second. Aren't you with him? Aren't you one of his disciples? He's like, no. Go along now. Goes inside, warms himself by the fire. And another guy's like, hey, no, no, I'm pretty sure you're one of his disciples. I recognize you. I saw you with him. He's like, no, man, you're crazy. I just have one of those faces. I look like people. <laughs> another guy's like, no, I'm pretty sure you're definitely one of Jesus' disciples because you sound like you're from Galilee. And then Peter's like getting kind of angry. and He's getting a little worried, so he puts on like a fake accent. Like, you don't know what you're talking about, you know? <laughs> and at that moment, Jesus just looks at him. and a rooster crows. And Peter remembers just how spineless he is. And the scriptures tell us that he goes outside the temple gates and weeps bitterly. It's this same Simon Peter that Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, he asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I take care of my sheep. He asks him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At that moment, it all just comes floating back to Peter, and he remembers the times when he's gung ho, and he remembers the times that he fell so short. And he's just sitting there, and he's broken, and he knows. (laughs) Jesus is looking at him with those same eyes he did right after he denied him. And he just says, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. You know the ways I failed you. You know how I fell and how I'm going to fall. But you also know that I just so much want to be like you. I so desperately want to follow you. Yes, I love you. And you see, Jesus didn't have to ask three times. He could have asked once. He could have said, oh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's like, oh, yeah, I love you. And they're like, okay, cool, and give a bro a hug and move on with their life, you know, and it's okay. But Peter's carrying around this weight in his chest. But Jesus digs into his heart each time he asks, digs deeper and deeper so he can get in and break away the walls and heal him. Because you see, Jesus knows how to perfectly address our sin in order to restore us. And so he has this broken Peter in front of him, just laid open, and he, he smiles, and he looks at him, and he says, feed my sheep, signifying to Peter, yes, I choose you, yes, I know, and yes, I am using you. I wonder when the last time was that you allowed Jesus to address your sins. When was the last time I did that? When was the last time I should let myself be laid bare before God? I'm not talking about like, oh, before I go to sleep, Jesus, I'm sorry about that thing I did today. Or doing the once over before we go to communion. Yeah, Jesus, we're good, right? I'm talking about being laid bare. Being broken down so that he can just reach in and heal and restore you. This would be a great place to end because we could go right into communion from here and everyone would be like, seven-minute sermon? All right. Never let Chris come back. No thank you, no thank you. But you see, Jesus didn't just restore Peter for his own sake. He didn't just restore Peter so that he could feel good about himself and get on with his life. Jesus said, feed my lambs. You know, we may show up here in separate cars and come from all over Southern California to get to here. And and we get here, but we're not individuals here. This is not a place where, where we come and receive a word and then go home and chew on it privately and go, wow, that was a really good song we sang today. I really like that scripture. I feel so much better. We're a community here. Grace is a family. And we respond to this together. So I'd like to invite you to pull out your bulletin. There's all kinds of great stuff in here. And if you happen to get here right before the service starts, I know, crazy, right? There's stuff in here you can read. There's stuff that flies out at you, Um, but I'd like to draw your attention to the middle and the back, at the top. It says 2011, 2012 goals for grace. There's number three and there's a second bullet point. That's what I'm looking at. The very last bullet point. Number three says understand your call to grace by being able to answer. The second bullet point is where are you serving? And it explains this, saying, where are you encouraging others towards Jesus? You know, when I read that, I hear discipleship. I hear pouring into others and letting them pour into you. Now, discipleship is, is, is different than your normal relationship. It, it's a bonding relationship. It's a relationship that instructs and corrects. It's a relationship that builds up and holds accountable. It's Jesus' type of relationship. It's the one he modeled with his disciples. I mean, we don't just call it discipleship because it's a cool biblical word that we want to use in church. Like, it's it's a legit thing that Jesus models for us. It's a call to invested time in individuals. I mean, yes, Jesus' ministry absolutely did include teaching in temples. And preaching on hillsides to thousands of people and performing miracles in crowded streets and, and crowded houses. But he also knew how to encounter the individual, and that's where he really shined. He knew where to go to people. He'd spend time with just his disciples, teaching them and training them, edifying them. He'd go and seek out the lowly and the destitute and the outcast, and just go and eat with them. Not judge them, not convict them, not beat them over the head with the law, but just eat with them and love them with his presence. He'd encounter people where they were. He'd go to them, whether it be at a public well or a private living room. Now, the next thing I'm going to say is pretty blunt. Grace is not very good at discipleship. We're very good at friendships. We're very good at surface level relationships. We're very good at acquaintanceships. We're pretty good at looking nice and looking friendly on Sunday, passing the peace, shaking hands with the people that we sit near all the time. We even mingle fairly well over coffee and donuts. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship involves invested time and involves opening yourself up to someone else. Discipleship involves asking tough questions and then actually listening. Discipleship involves going to where the people are. You know, if you walk into one of our youth groups, um, which please walk into one of our youth groups, we'd love to have you. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, plug. If you walk into one of our youth groups, you're going to see more than just students hanging out and having fun and and playing games and stuff. You're going to see students being mentored and discipled by the leaders that are there. Now, these leaders are in college. They're in their early 20s. Some of them are old, like Mark Wardle, who has kids who are in college and in their 20s. If you ever wonder why kids call him Gramps, well, it's because he has gray hair. But the great thing about having such a diverse group of leaders is that these students need multiple age groups and backgrounds pouring into their lives. I don't know when the last time it was when you were a teenager, but being a teenager is tough. We remember it. Teenagers in the room, it's tough, yeah? Parents want you to do this. Friends want you to do that. All I want to do is play video games. (laughs) It's tough. But having such a diverse wealth of multi-generational leaders at this church is awesome because they've all been there. They've all done that. They've all experienced life differently and lived in different places and met different people and learned different things that they can give advice about. But you know what? It's not just our students that need discipling. I need discipling. I need someone to pour into me. I need someone to to ask me the tough questions and then actually listen to my heartfelt answer. I need someone to be there when I have questions. Because, I mean, you know, the biggest reason that I need discipling right now is I'm one of the leaders of the youth group, I disciple a handful of teen boys. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no answers. I am 23 years old, and I'm supposed to have answers? This is not the case. I need people who are able to call me out on my areas of weakness and are also willing to stay there and help me improve in those areas. And you know what? I'm not alone. My whole generation needs discipleship. People in their 20s, well, we're supposed to be adults? We have no idea what being an adult is about. The adults who are older than us do, at least a better idea. And you know, the 30-year-olds, they need discipleship. They need people pouring into their lives. The 50-year-olds need people invested in each other. The 80-year-olds want those relationships. We're created not as individuals, but in community. We're created to lift each other up and to strive towards God together. That's the way we were created. We need this. But you see, discipleship is not just a way to stay inside this building and be safe and get really awesome friendships going and be really tight-knit so that any outsiders that come, they can't really be part of our discipleship group because we're already too close. Discipleship is not about that. The church is not a spiritual day spa. (laughs) Shocker, I know. But this is not a place where we get to come and, and he, just hear uplifting music and, and get our social needs met for the week. I mean, for that matter, when did church become a place and not a body? I mean, if you think about it, a place sits still, it gets old, it gets musty, it gets stagnant, but a body grows, it moves, it supports, it heals, a body acts. You know, we call ourselves Christians, but what does that really mean? Does, does it really mean follower of Christ? Is that what it means to you? Is that is that what it means to me to be a follower of Christ? Well, Christ moved. In John 20, verse 21, this is the first time he appears to his disciples after he's been resurrected. They're sitting in a room hanging out, and all of a sudden. Jesus just shows up, and he goes, peace be with you. And the first words out of his mouth are, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. If we're a follower of Jesus, we've got to follow the way he goes. And if, and if he was sent by the Father and sends us as the Father sent him, then we've got to be doing exactly the way he did it. And Christ moved. He went. He encountered people. He didn't sit still, but he didn't do it alone either. He had his disciples. He taught and trained others to support each other and to keep each other accountable and to teach and train others to support each other and keep each other accountable and to teach and train others. And he just developed this awesome sense, this awesome model of community for us of what the church is supposed to be as a group of people who are edifying each other and calling each other out and supporting each other and building each other up and bringing new people into the fold to do all that too. It's a family, it's not an individual thing. At this point, you're like, okay, cool, that's great. But you know, Drew, we can't just go follow Jesus around on a hillside for three years, even though it would be awesome. Life is different now, the world's different. How am I supposed to fit discipleship into my crazy nine to five life? There's freeways now, people are spread out. How am I supposed to do discipleship? Does Facebook work? I don't know. Let me give you some practical ideas of how to get a foot in the door. Um, these are not all of my own ideas. These are ideas that come from lots of different people I've talked with and stuff. But first things first, and, and if you look at the goals in your bulletin, like the first one is like, get to know two people outside of your circle, like get to know them intimately and learn their life story. Well, that's, that's along these lines. You know, if you look at those goals, they're kind of all talking about this. And it's not because, you know, I just went, oh, sweet, they're all about my sermon. No, those goals are about what Christian life is about. But the first step of getting to know people is find out their name. There's people, and you know what, here we go. There's people who always sit on this side. And there's people who always sit on this side. Sometimes there's mingling. Sometimes you don't know their name. If you get to know their name and then follow up with them next week and be like, hey there, John. You'll see one of two things. Their face will light up because... You remember their name, and then they might go, What's your name? (laughs) And they'll respond with like, How's it going, buddy? (laughs) If I don't know your name, I'll call you buddy. My secret's out. I'm sorry. Find out something that they're interested in. Find out an activity they're going to do this next week and follow up with them next week. How did that go? This works for adults and for youth. The youth are starting up school soon. There's sports programs going on find out who scored a goal. You know, better than that, if you're really adventurous, really adventurous, you can take them out to lunch. I don't know about you, but conversations happen so much easier when there's food involved, because you can talk about the food, and talk about like how good it is, or maybe how not good it is, and how like you never come here. And that's like a conversation in itself. And it's not like you're like, oh, how are we going to ch- turn this conversation from French fries back to the Holy Spirit? Because that's not the point the point is to get to know someone get your foot in the door and even just find out is the spirit leading me to get invested in this person maybe not maybe you just had a nice lunch with someone and got to know someone else who goes to this church with you every week got to know someone maybe from your neighborhood got to know someone maybe from your work i love lunch I can speak for every young person here. We love lunch. Kids love lunch, too. You know, you might be telling me right now, though, it's like, but Drew, I'm not a good enough Christian to be a disciple. I still got stuff. Or you might be like, Drew, I don't really like kids. (laughs) And you keep talking about them, and it kind of makes me worried. Am I going to get roped into the youth group? Well, let's go back and look at how Jesus encountered his disciples. Answer those questions. We, we look back at, at Simon Peter when, when he first got called, Luke 5. Throws himself to Jesus' feet. Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. Follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. We Look at Matthew, a tax collector. Jesus says, hey, follow me. And he goes, okay. And he comes with him. And that night... Matthew has a party over his house for all his tax collector friends and all the unsavories of Jerusalem. And Jesus is there ministering to him. You see, there wasn't like a step-by-step process from conversion to ministry. It was like, hey, you follow me? Go. Here we go. Let's do this together. There wasn't an alpha course, which, by the way, starts on September 21st. (laughs) Please bring your friends. There wasn't a life group to join. There wasn't a weekend missions trip to get your feet wet. It was shared ministry with Jesus. See, Christianity is not a self help or a personal growth class. It's not about making you a better person. It's about recognizing that Jesus is the better person. I want to say that again Christianity is not about making you a better person. It's about realizing that Jesus is the better person, and then making sure that everyone else knows that, starting with yourself. Along the way, you become more like him. Jesus didn't ask his disciples to go away to a Bible school for two years, then come back and do ministry. They were sharing in ministry with him at the time. Because salvation is not about us putting in Our hard work and our time and our faith and getting out eternity with God because it's not a vending machine. It spits it out like a $20 bill is too wrinkled. Salvation is a free gift, salvation is a promise that's been fulfilled, salvation is a challenge to know God and follow him. In Matthew chapter 22 is when a teacher of the law asks Jesus what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus responds with a fantastic answer. And he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. How do you live life, Jesus? You love God. And then out of that love for God, in response to the love of him pouring into you, you love others. There's not this process in the middle where you love yourself for a little bit and make sure that you're good to go. There's not a process in the middle where you make sure you got all the tools and stuff ready. You just love God and trust him and then love others. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus, I think he was trying to get people to stop following him because there's too many and they weren't, they weren't like really listening to him. But he said if anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be his disciples. Jesus' response to our questioning to him of how you live life, he says, deny yourself. Die to yourself so you can live in me. Pick up your cross and follow me. I'm still wrestling with what that means in my life. The heck does it look like to die to myself so I can live in Christ. I don't got those answers yet. I'm still wrestling with what exactly that looks like in my life. But those are the words that Jesus says. He says, deny yourself and just follow me. Don't worry about whether you've got the tools. Don't worry about whether you're outgoing enough. Don't worry about things. And worry about me and where I'm sending you. we got to realize that if we are a follower of Christ... And our lives are not our own. Because if we're staking claim to our lives, we better be able to live up to it. We better be doing good enough. And I'll tell you a secret. I'm not good. Jesus is good. He's taken my place and therefore taken the right to my life. I just got to follow him. I want to close with a passage that we're going to dig into next week. Out of Second Peter. If you want to follow along, it's on page 842. I like having the Bible in my hands. I think too often we get too lazy and just look at the screen. But in honesty, if you're just reading the scripture when it's up on the screen, you're not reading it except for on Sunday. You've got to get this book in your hands. If you want this, take it home. If you have a neighbor that wants one, take it home. Get it in your hands, that's what it's here for. Second Peter chapter one, starting with verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Paul's confusing, isn't he? Let's read that again. His divine power, God's, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, the promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Are we being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge that Jesus is our Lord? Have we forgotten that we've been cleansed? And worship priest to pray with me. God, you are so good. And I am so not Father, I just pray that you just fill me up more with you. That you just add to my share more. That you give me an increasing measure the qualities that bring me closer to you. So that I can follow you better. God, I pray that you just fill us up with your presence and make us sensitive to hear where you're leading us, who you're bringing into our lives, which person we're supposed to go seek out, who at our work, who in our neighborhood, who at our school we're supposed to just go and be a witness to you for. God, I thank you so much that you don't call us to be Jesus, but that you give us Jesus to follow. So all we have to do is witness to him Father, we just thank you and we praise you in your holy and precious name. Amen.